0: reading from the Old Testament from the book of Psalms, the 103rd Psalm, beginning at verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will He harbor His anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, So far has He removed our transgressions from us. And then from the New Testament, from the Apostle Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter, the first chapter, beginning at verse 12. Paul writes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to His service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out in me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If you have been with us the past few weeks, you know that I have been preaching a series of messages on fear. Living constantly in a state of fear is no way to live. Bruce Larson, the former pastor of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, says of fear is perhaps our oldest and deadliest enemy. Fear causes illness, it kills, it stifles creativity. Fear prevents love, disrupts families, and causes addiction to alcohol, drugs, work, hobbies, and food. Fear of life and of other people can result in an abnormal desire to withdraw, leading to mental illness. Extreme fear of the future prompts suicide. And yet most of us are seldom free of fear at some level. Of the universality of fear, the writer Mark Twain once quipped, The human race is a race of cowards. And I'm not only marching in that procession, I'm carrying a banner. When you stop and think about it, there are all kinds of fears that can rob us of peace and joy, the the fear of loneliness, the fear of change, the fear of failure, the fear of the future and of the unknown, the the fear of not having enough, of whatever it is that we think will make our life secure, the, the fear of rejection, the fear of pain and suffering and so on. We all live with fear, real or imagined. But it's good to remember that fear is actually the soil that makes our faith grow. Fear drives us into the arms of God. It's been said that courage is fear that has said its prayers. We may still be afraid, but even so, we can move forward with confidence and with courage as we learn to trust God day by day. An area of life where you and I need some courage is in facing our fears of the past. Our past can be a great source of anxiety. I mean, we're haunted by memories of things we did wrong or failed to do. Perhaps we made wrong choices. Perhaps we acted irrationally and shamefully in the past and bothered by it to this day. Maybe may be that we may have had an opportunity to have helped someone in a significant way, but failed to do so, and, and we feel guilty. Perhaps we opened our mouths at the wrong time, and we wish we could retrieve those words. We all have our regrets, and they eat away at us. No matter how hard we try to forget, we seem unable to make peace with past misdeeds and failures. Our our minds are something like computer chips. They store everything we've experienced, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Nothing is lost. And while we treasure happy memories of days gone by, there are many other memories we would just as soon be rid of. But like a persistent computer virus, they keep coming back. The past can rob us of the ability to fully live in the present. Bad memories keep us up at night and never allow us to really rest. Bruce Larson uses an historical analogy to describe the the crippling effects of painful memories. It seems that during the 13th century, there were many intercity wars in Italy. The Florentines were attacking the city of Siena with little success and Siena felt very smug behind its great thick walls, confident its vast stores of food would last through any siege. The Florentines started building catapults, and the citizens of Siena watched in horror as they realized what those were to be used for. Dead donkeys were to be hurled into the city in the hope that their decay and demise would touch off the plague. Well, Larson says, I feel like that with those middle of the night memories. Somebody is catapulting dead donkeys into my life to cause a stink and their decay will eventually kill me. So the question is, how do you and I get rid of those dead donkeys? What do we do with all those painful memories of our past misdeeds and moral failures that haunt us? Seems to me that the Apostle Paul had a healthy approach First thing he did was to own up to what he did. Took responsibility for it. Makes no bones about it. He confessed that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Paul blew it with regard to Christ, and he was quite upfront about it. He said he did what he did out of ignorance, to be sure, but nevertheless, he doesn't excuse himself. He insulted Christ, he cursed Christians, and had taken every means open to him under Jewish law to annihilate the Christian church. He threw believers in prison and callously stood by as Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was stoned. Because of all this, he calls himself the worst of sinners. The beginning of the healing of painful memories is for us, like like Paul, to take responsibility for what we did or failed to do in the past. That's where it starts. We have to face those failures squarely, saying, Yes, this, this is what I did while refusing to justify them or to rationalize them away or to blame someone else for them. That takes a certain moral nerve on our part, a healthy dose of personal honesty. You and I are so adept at self-justification, making excuses for ourselves. After all, it's been our default mode since Adam and Eve and the apple, right? We immediately want to pass the buck. Well, the woman made me do it. No, it wasn't me. It was the serpent who, who deceived us. We're victims here. Until you and I can take responsibility for our past actions and own up to them, we will never find healing and peace. We'll always be running from them or denying them or pushing them further back into the recesses of our mind where they can boil back with even greater force. That's why a prayer of confession in a worship service is an important thing. It's it's a refreshing dose of public honesty when so many want to hide behind the mask of their own virtue. The truth is none of us have been the people God has called us to be. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It's important for us to own up to that fact, because until we admit that we have a A sin problem or a need, we can't be helped. If we have no sin, we don't need a Savior. Like Paul, you and I must face squarely those dead donkeys of our own making. No more excuses. We must take responsibility for what we did or failed to do. Healing begins here. But then we can choose to either carry around those dead donkeys, weighed down and crushed beneath a load of guilt along with the self-pity and the self-loathing that accompanies it, or you and I can lay our burden down at the foot of the cross and receive forgiveness and new life. In John Bunyan's uh, allegory of the Christian, the Christian life, Pilgrim's Progress, there's, there's a passage in which Christian has been laboring along the road that leads to the celestial city. And strapped to his back is a huge load that he has been carrying, a load that wearies him, burdens him, weighs him down. It's the crushing weight of his sins. And finally, after his long struggle, he comes to the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and he kneels there. And immediately, according to the story, his burden loosed from off his shoulders, fell off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and was seen no more. That's forgiveness. The burden of our sins carried away, buried. Forgiveness made possible through the sacrificial love of Jesus upon the cross releases us from the burden of our sins. Dead donkeys buried and gone. Now we can live free. This is the good news of the gospel. While you and I may have messed up in the past, God doesn't hold it against us. We discover that the Lord is indeed compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding love. We know that he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. There's a a true story of a Catholic priest living in the Philippines much-loved man of God who once carried a secret burden of long-past sin buried deep in his heart. He had committed that sin once uh, many years before during his time in seminary. No one else knew of his sin. He had repented of it, and he had suffered years of remorse for it, but still he had no peace, no inner joy, no sense of God's forgiveness. Well, there was a woman in this priest's parish who deeply loved God, and who claimed to have visions in which she spoke with Christ, and and he with her. The priest, however, was skeptical of her claims. So to test her visions, he said to her, So you say you actually speak directly with Christ in your visions. Well, let me ask you a favor. The next time you have one of these visions, I want you to ask him what sin your priest committed while he was in seminary. The woman agreed and went home, and when she returned to the church a few days later, the priest said, well, did did Christ visit you in your dreams? Yes, he did, she replied. And did you ask him what sin I committed in seminary? Yes, I asked him. Well, what did he say? He said, I don't remember. This is what God wants you and me to know about the forgiveness He freely offers us, that when our sins are forgiven, they are forgotten, so to speak. The past with its sins, its hurts, its brokenness, its self-recrimination, it's gone, dead, crucified, remembered no more, buried at the foot of the cross. When God forgives, God forgets. As the psalmist put it, Psalm 103, As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Such amazing grace. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, says Paul, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul was overwhelmed by God's goodness and mercy. Basically, Paul was saying, if, if God can forgive someone like me after all the evil I have done, then God can forgive anyone. I received mercy for this reason, he says, that in me, as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. If God can forgive Paul for persecuting and killing Christians, God can surely forgive you and me. Do you know the, the, the story of, of John Newton, the writer of the song Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace is, is probably one of the most recognizable songs in the world. Some of you may have watched uh, Andrea Bocelli sing it so movingly this past Easter on the steps of the Milan Cathedral in a live worldwide broadcast. That that really was a a, a touching moment. Helped make my Easter day, actually. Well, John Newton, who who wrote this, uh, this hymn, was born in England about 250 years ago, the only child of a devout Christian mother who dedicated him to God at birth. His mother prayed with him and, for him and for him every day of his earthly life and filled his mind with scripture. When he was seven, she died, leaving him in the charge of a worldly, uncaring father. He went to sea at an early age, and in his own words, he says, I went to Africa that I might be free to sin to my heart's content. Well, he became a slaver, that most despicable of all trades, trafficking in human life. And in an odd turn of events, he became a slave himself. He was bought by an African woman under whose table he had to beg for a crust of bread. Eventually, he escaped and and, uh, got back to sea. And while at sea, he he gained quite a notoriety, a, a huge reputation for profanity which wasn't surprising for a sailor, but even the captain he served under was surprised by his verbal debauchery and thought him to be the most profane man he had ever met. Newton was pumping bilge in the hold during a severe storm, certain the ship was about to sink when he remembered the Jesus his mother had told him about. On that day, March 10th, 1748, he was converted I was once, I once was lost, but now I'm found, he could say. I was blind, but now I see. His experience of God's grace was so profound, so amazing, that he felt God's call to return to England, to become an Anglican priest, and to preach. The Church of England was in sad shape at that time in the control of worldly fox-hunting bishops and unconverted laity, and Newton and some of his colleagues became the first generation of clergy to be termed evangelical. Historians have since labeled them the second founders of the Church of England. Newton was still preaching at a very advanced age when a friend advised him to take it easy. He said, what? Shall an old African blasphemer stop while he can still speak at all? He kept on preaching. The last recorded story of Newton reveals the single driving force of his life. In a casual meeting with an acquaintance on the street, he confessed, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that I have a great Savior. Christ died for his sin and for the sins of the whole world. Praise be to God. He discovered what we all need to know. God's saving grace is bigger than our failure. His mercy is bigger than our sin. His goodness is bigger than our badness. But it's not enough to be forgiven. I mean, we have to move on and and, and serve the Lord. God's grace should change us. We ought to live differently because of it. As Paul told the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old life is over and done with. The new has come. Do you remember when Jesus healed the paralytic? Jesus freed him from his guilt, saying to him, your sins are forgiven. And then he said, take up your mat and walk. It was up to the forgiven and healed man to get up and walk into a brand new life. No one could do it for him. It's something he had to choose to do. So too, we have to choose to get up and and walk into a new kind of life free of the burdensome regrets of the past. That's why I admire the apostle Paul. I mean, he didn't wallow in a pool of self-remorse for the evil he did to Christ and the church. He, he acknowledged his sin to God, left his burden at the foot of the cross where he discovered God's abundant mercy and got on with his life. And as it turns out, God used him in a mighty way. He went on to do great things for God and for the kingdom. He was not content to rest in God's grace, but he worked all the harder on Christ's behalf not to win his approval, not to earn his ultimate salvation, but simply to express his gratitude for all that the Lord had done for him. Paul writes to the Corinthians, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul's past did not disqualify him for service in God's kingdom. Paul didn't allow his past to ruin his living in the present nor to determine his future. With God's help, he was able to bury his dead donkeys once and for all. Receiving the Lord's forgiveness, he could leave his past behind and move forward to fulfill his calling from the Lord in gratitude for all that the Lord had done for him. And really, isn't that what the Christian life is all about? All that we say and do is an expression of thanksgiving to God for His amazing grace in our lives. What event or memory Do you fear in your distant or not-so-distant past? Do you have some dead donkeys that are keeping you up at night? Take responsibility for what you did or failed to do. Lay it at the feet of Jesus in prayer and receive God's amazing grace. Then get on with your life. Begin again all the while giving thanks to God. Take up your mat and walk into newness of life. Serve the Lord. Here are the words you may trust, words that merit full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To all who confess their sins and resolve to lead a new life, he says, your sins are forgiven. He also says, follow me. Pound to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.